Psalm 38. Got a couple weeks left in the Psalms, uh, finishing out book one of the Psalms before we move to uh, 2 Corinthians. And uh, right now our vision is that um, we'll be doing a chapter of week through 2 Corinthians. Uh, we'll be doing verse by verse through on Wednesday night. And uh, we'll be doing a, a section of each chapter for Sunday morning, just looking at some key verses in each chapter. So uh, kind of new thing for Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings here in just uh, a couple of weeks. Uh, we'll be going through Psalm 41 Wednesdays and Sundays um, until then. Um, but here we are in Psalm 38, and I can't read Psalm 38 without remembering a, a hilarious story that I heard from the Christian comedian uh, Tim Hawkins, if you've ever followed him at all. Hilarious guy. You can watch him on YouTube. But uh, Tim Hawkins was signing autographs after a comedy uh, sketch one night when a woman in the autograph line asked him to sign his favorite Bible verse under his name. And, and so, you know, he's thinking, okay, man, my favorite Bible verse is uh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed are those who find refuge in him. But he couldn't remember the reference to that verse. And I think it's Psalm 38, 7. And so he writes, Tim Hawkins, Psalm 38, 7. And there are about a thousand people there in line that just every time he signed it, Tim Hawkins, Psalm 38, 7, Psalm 38, 7. And and as he's driving home, he's like, man, I, I really hope I wrote the right verse down. And he gets home, he's like, it's probably good, it's probably good. And he opens it up and he's like, for lo, I have a painful disease in my loins. And he's like, oh no, you know, he's like, uh, he, he just is like, I can just picture, you know, the lady getting home with all of her kids and saying, all right, everybody, gather around, turn the TV off, kids, gather around. We're going to read Tim Hawkins' favorite Bible verse. All right, you listening? Okay. For lo, there is a painful d disease in, in my loins. Oh, oh goodness, you know. And he closes out the story by saying, you ain't going to see that cross-stitched on a pillow. But, um, and so, you know, Psalm 38, we're going to come across verse 7 here. So try not to giggle at that story. But um, it's a Psalm of David. Uh, perhaps your Bible titles it, Prayer in Time of Chastening. A Psalm of David, and it says in the subtitle, To Bring to Remembrance. You know, it is good to remember God's displeasure with our sin. That there's no statute of limitations with our sin. You know, I sinned 20 years ago, and this is what I did, and I'm just hoping God will kind of forget that, and, you know, wink at it, or sweep it under the rug. But we know that God is not forgetful of our iniquity unless it's been washed away by the blood of his son. And so it's good to come today and remember, you know what? I, I've sinned and I've fallen short of God's glory. But there's good news. My sin has been washed away. And it's as far away from me as the east is from the west. Because of Christ Jesus. God has either forgiven us through the atonement found in the blood of his son. Or his anger still burns hot against our unrepentant, unforgiven sin. And so as you come here today, we come today to remember. Maybe you came through these doors not a Christian, not born again, not saved by Jesus, not having your heart and your life surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. 
and receiving of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And if that's the case today for you, God's brought you here for you to remember that he remembers your sin. And he's going to hold it against you. And his wrath burns hot against it. And one day he will pour out the fiery indignation against the sin that you have been heaping upon yourself for years and years and years. Just as water pressure builds against a dam, one day that dam will break and the wrath of God will be poured out against a Christ-rejecting world. But the good news is is that God's brought you here today. He's brought you here today to not only remember that, that there is bad news for you, but there's also good news for you. If you would come as a child and humble yourself before the living God and receive the covering and cleansing work of Jesus Christ for your sins, you can be forgiven and the wrath of God that was upon you would now be placed upon the Son, Jesus Christ. And all of the goodness and blessings and riches that were upon Jesus Christ can be placed upon you today. It's good to remember. One commentary writes, To bring to remembrance or remind God of his mercy and himself of his sin. So today we come to remember, Lord, remember your mercy. And I'm remembering that I had sin. We appeal to God today for relief from his heavy correction. The psalmist avows integrity before men who would be his enemies. He complains of friends that defect against him and persecute him. But he comes with a submissive heart before God. Penitent confession. He pleads for God's covenant relationship and for him to be innocent of the charges that are against him. Matthew Henry wrote in the 15th century, this psalm teaches us that times of sickness are times to bring to remembrance, to bring the sin to remembrance for which God once contended with us, to awaken our consciences, to deal faithfully and plainly with us, and set our sins in order before us for our humility. And so let's start the psalm today where we see David, King David, a man after the Lord's own heart, writing, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your wrath, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. This psalm is nothing new to us. This verse echoes very similar to Psalm 6-1 and Psalm 32, but God wants us to remember. God wants us to remember. And, And Lord, would you please not judge me in your wrath. Don't judge me in your anger against my sin. And don't correct me or chastise me in the heat and the venom and the rage that you have against my sin. It's a plea for the mercy of God. You know, we like to talk about the love of God, and rightly so, and that is a truth pillar to Christendom. But you know what? We also need to realize that God is a God of justice. He's a God of righteousness. He's a God of mercy. We remember all of the attributes of God. And because God is a holy God and in him there is no sin. And to be in his presence one must be holy. Because men have instead of choosing holiness have chosen rebellion against God. And against relationship with him, Romans 1.18 tells us that the wrath of God 
is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest to them for God has shown it to them. Romans 1 tells us that every man, woman, and child in their conscience, deep in their heart, they've been shown God by what he's created and by the, the, the convicting work of the Spirit in their life. They know there's a God. They know that he's holy. They know that he requires holiness of them. But the sin nature within them, they've chosen to heap up for themselves disobedience, sin, which the wrath of God burns hot against. Romans 1 goes on to list a a whole bunch of depraved sins and wicked sins. And he says, all of these sinners, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. That was the last verse in Romans 1. And then it goes into Romans 2. Therefore, you are excusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, that you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance to your hard and impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourselves wrath on the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgments of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life, To those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil. Of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good. So, you know, the wrath of God is just a reality of God's justice and his righteousness that one day he will judge ultimately those sinners who've rebelled against him, who have hardened their heart, who have heard the good news of salvation and forgiveness, but instead of humbling themselves and being broken over their sin, they've puffed up themselves and gotten proud and stiffened their neck and shrugged their shoulders against God and said, nope, I'm going to do things my way, thanks. Because of that, because of this disobedience, wrath and indignation and tribulation are being built up against these individuals. And so David, knowing the righteousness of God and knowing that he's a sinner, says, Oh Lord, here I am before you. And when you come to correct me, Lord, don't do it in your wrath. I don't want to be someone that is stiffening his neck against you and shrugging his shoulders against you biting the lip at you or whatever it is or biting the thumb if you're into Shakespeare you know biting the thumb at you no Lord I know that I'm a sinner and I need your mercy so when it comes time to correct me do it as a father to a son do it as a father to a son it says verse 2 in our psalm today for your arrows pierce me deeply 
and your hand presses me down. The Lord has been putting upon David and upon sinners. He puts his heavy and sharp afflictions upon the sinner, hoping to discipline, hoping, hoping to bring to repentance. And those arrows that the Lord uses, man, they pierce me deeply. Uh, Psalm 32, we went through it a few weeks ago. It says, day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. Have you ever been there where you know you've sinned against the Lord and you're trying to justify it and act like it never happened and, and just the Lord is just like, you know, he's putting his convicting hand upon you. It's a heavy hand. It's a hand, he loves us enough to not let us get away with lying to ourselves that we didn't sin. That heavy hand of conviction, that Psalm 32 talks about, man, day and night my, my bed is swimming and I'm just sweating because I just know what I've done and there's no getting away from it. Is there any hope? Oh no. Day and night, the hand of the Lord heavy upon us. These arrows. Henry says again, God's arrows, as they are sure to hit the mark, they're sure to stick where they hit and they stick fast. Till he is pleased to draw them out and bind up with his comforts the wound he has made with his terrors. This will be the everlasting misery of the damned. The arrows of God's wrath will stick fast in them and the wound will be incurable. So praise the Lord that you know what? He pierces us with that conviction of our sin and sometimes takes us through places of chastisement against us. Arrows piercing us. But you know, for those that he loves, he corrects and he rebukes. But he doesn't leave that wound to fester and get infected so that we would die. His heart in disciplining us is to also heal and tend and bring us out of that to be even stronger. The psalmist David writes in verse 3, There is no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, nor any health in my bones because of my sin. Man, when I try to just keep going like it never happened and just the hand of the Lord's heavy upon me and I'm pushing it, trying to get it off of me, man, there is no rest. I can't rest. There's no feeling of health. No health in my bones, in my deepest part of my structure. Our Psalm 32 a few weeks ago said, When I kept silent, my bones grew old. Through my groaning all day long, I know that I did it. I I did it. I know I rebelled against God. And it speaks of the, the youth of a young man just shriveling and getting weak and I just can't do it anymore. He acknowledges his sin to be the real provoking cause of his troubles here. And he groans, the, the psalmist, this is David, he groans more under the load of guilt than any other load in his life. When I know I'm guilty before the Lord, I am just trying to lift up a burden. My flesh has no soundness. My bones have no rest. I'm in major agitation here. And he understands that all of that agitation, it's because of God's anger that kindles and burns so fiercely against our sin. But the very next thing that David says is that he, you know, he justifies God in that anger. God is just in that. And he, David takes all the blame upon himself, saying, it's because I've sinned. I deserve this heavy hand upon. I brought it upon myself. Verse 4 says, for my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. 
David feels like he's drowning in guilt. Have you ever been there? I would ask you today, are you there today? Are you there today? If you're there today, you are in the right place. God has brought you here to to rescue you from this drowning feeling. And those of us who are walking in the rescue, you know, we're sitting in the aid station. We can say, he is faithful to pull us out of the swamp, you guys. He is faithful to pull us up out of this flood. I was reminded of a book that I read in fifth grade, and, and then I've started reading it again uh, recently and began reading it with my family last night. It's a classic Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. John Bunyan wrote it after being thrown into a prison cell for 12 years for preaching the gospel in England. And, uh, and as he was in that prison cell uh, making silk to take care of his blind daughter, and all 12 years his wife would go and plead with the authorities to let her husband go, John Bunyan wrote this book, from the prison cell, Pilgrim's Progress. And I know we're talking about going through this book in our core groups. So rich to go through with my children. My eight-year-old son, he's catching all the allegory, you know, and it's just an incredible thing. But here's what, uh, I'm going to quote Pilgrim's Progress a couple times. And John Bunyan is writing as the narrator, and he says, I dreamed, and behold, I saw a man clothed with rags, Standing in a certain place with his face from his own house, a book in his hand, and a great burden upon his back, I looked and saw him open the book and read therein. And as he read, he wept and trembled, not being any longer able to contain. He broke out with the lamentable crying, saying, What shall I do? What shall I do? This pilgrim, whose name is Christian, is packing a crude weight on his back. The more he reads the book in his hand, the heavier that weight becomes. Soon he'll be told by evangelists to flee from the wrath of God that is coming upon his hometown called the City of Destruction. And to go to the place called the heavenly city. To get to the heavenly city, you've got to pass through Mount Calvary or the cross. And so David in this psalm, he feels a bit like Christian in Pilgrim's Progress. Reading the word of God, knowing the righteous standards of God. And the more we read, the more we feel the weight of sin upon ourselves. And the preacher tells us, Flee from the wrath of God. Flee from the city of destruction. And the tale, I quoted on Facebook last night, I don't know if you noticed it, but the tale goes on to say he went home and he tried to act like everything was okay. And the more he tried to walk around the house, all everything's okay, the heavier it got. And he tried to hold the tears back till finally he broke down. And his wife and kids said, what is wrong with you? He said, we are going to have the wrath of God poured out upon us. The whole city of destruction will be, we will all perish. We've got to go. We've got to find our way to get to this heavenly city. Come with me. Come with me. They said, you need to sleep on it, man. Dad, you are just, you're going crazy. And as he slept, he couldn't sleep. He's tossing and turning in his bed. He wakes up. They find that he's even worse with sorrow over his weight on his back. And they begin to mock him. Until finally he says, I've got to go. 
can you guys come with me? They say, we're not going with you. And it says, as he went out of his house to pursue the heavenly city, his wife and his kids came after him, crying out after him, saying, come back, come back. And he put his fingers in his ears and he says, life, life, eternal life, as he went forward. Illustrating just a bit of what Jesus says, that if anyone's going to come after me, he must hate his father and mother and sisters and brothers. Pilgrim, the Christian, choosing life, life, eternal life. Well, David, much like Christian, heavy laden with the burden of his sin, could come to Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty eight, where we read, Come to me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so if that is you today and you feel like the flood is over, you feel like the weight of sin is upon your back, come to Jesus. He'll remove that burden. He'll remove that weight. His yoke is easy. His burden is is light, you will find rest for your souls in him. David goes on to discuss his situation. My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. My body is starting to rot and to stink. Everything that I've done and all of this sin, I'm leaving a wake of destruction behind me, my family, my relationships, my community, my church, Everything that I've been doing, it's destroyed because of my sin. And even if you look at my body, I bear the marks of foul and festering wounds upon me because of my foolishness. These wounds are loathsome, full of corruption. And there is physical issues that are, it's leading to David even having mental anguish here in this psalm. We read in the tribulation period in the book of Revelation that God's wrath will be poured out on the Christ-rejecting world and the inhabitants will be given foul and loathsome sores because they've chosen to worship the Antichrist in his image rather than coming in humility to the one who gives life. And maybe if you would just be honest that God would be speaking to you today, perhaps you would say like David, you know what, my life stinks My life is foul and festering, starting to rot and stink. The language literally says, I am making myself odious. There is just an odor coming from my life because I have foolishly been saying no to God in rebellion. Verse 6 goes on, I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. Just my whole day is twisted and irritated and confused and bent down. Just as Pilgrim with the weight on his back, he's bowed down greatly, needing it to be removed. I go walking about in dark and dirty morning garb all the day long, just as Pilgrim was found in rags. Verse 7, for my loins, for lo, I have a painful day. Okay. For my loins are full of inflammation and there is no soundness in my flesh. ESV says, my sides are filled with burning. Or the NIV, 
My back is filled with searing pain. The loathsomeness, corruption, and wasting torture of severe physical disease is what David is speaking of here. You know, as funny as Tim Hawkins is in remembering this verse, all throughout my studying, just praying, perhaps God has brought you here today and is graciously showing your, your sin to you so that you could be cleansed from it and healed from it. And maybe we have come to this passage specifically in his word. It's just where we're at as we're walking through the scriptures today. He's brought you here. And maybe you're one here with sclerosis of the liver from all of those years of turning to the bottle instead of turning to Jesus. Or you're here with kidney failure or lung cancer or some form of diabetes or an STD, HIV. Maybe you even have AIDS or an illness that is brought specifically from living in some kind of a life of rebellion against God. I'm not getting into anything like you have a cold today because there's some secret sin in your life. That's not what I'm saying, nor is that what the word is saying. But perhaps God has brought you here and just between you and the Lord, you know, man, I have an STD. I have, you know, my uncle, you know, he, was, he lost his leg because of his alcoholic idol in his life. And maybe you would just be here and say, man, honestly, my life is stenching. My body's falling apart. Because I've chosen the world rather than God. And he's gracious enough to show us that today. He says, I'm feeble. I'm severely broken. I groan because of the turmoil of my heart. I'm paralyzed. I'm weak. I'm tired. I'm crushed. I'm roaring in my heart here. You know what? That's a good place to be. Because God loves you, he's been trying to bring you to a place of brokenness before him. Psalm 51 is almost a parallel psalm to us today because David had just been caught in sin, in adultery, and in murder, in lying. He was confronted by the Holy Spirit speaking through Nathan the prophet. And David turns in sorrow and in, in repentance, repents of his sin, and he writes Psalm 51 in the midst of his repentance and turning away from his sin. And he realizes, and he writes it down, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you do not despise. Maybe you come to a place physically, you're looking at the wake of destruction behind you, you're broken before the Lord. That is where he wants you. That is a place where we can worship God when we've come to the end of ourselves. Jesus would say in Luke, and I think I wrote the wrong reference down there, that whoever falls on the rock Jesus will be broken. But whoever the rock falls on will grind to powder. It is better to come today in humility before the Lord and just fall down before Jesus and fall on Jesus. Just like an egg were to just drop off the counter and just, just lands on the ground. Lord, I'm broken before you. I've done this. I'm, my whole body is affected by it. My whole life. Just, oh God, I come to you. A sinner in need of mercy. He'll hear that. He hears brokenness like that. 
But to stiffen yourself against him and to rebel against him, one day the rock of Jesus will fall upon you and grind you to powder. I pray today that God would bring you to a place where you are feeble before him, severely broken before him, groaning because of the turmoil of the heart, knowing that you've sinned against him. Verse 9, Lord, all my desire is before you, and my sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pants, my strength fails me. As for the light of my eyes, it's gone from me. Verse 11, my loved ones and my friends stand aloof from my plague, and my relatives stand afar off. Maybe just if you would be honest with the Lord today, this is a description of you. The sin in your life, the destruction in your life, the people around you in your community, your circle of friends, your family, man, they look at the choices you've made and they just can't be around you. That festering odor of your sin has begun to stink things up and they can't be around you. David wrote it in 31.11, I'm a reproach among all my enemies, especially among my neighbors, and I'm repulsive to my acquaintances. Those who see me outside flee from me. It reminds me in the scriptures of the condition of leprosy. In Matthew chapter 8, when Jesus came down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. You know, leprosy literally means smitten. and is unclean according to the law of Moses. The Talmud, the Jewish writings, says leprosy is second to death in its list of 61 defilements. Number one is being dead. Leprosy is as good as being dead. Leprosy would bring separation from the community as the person would need to be living in a separate area from everybody else. And if he were to happen to come among the population, he would have to put his hand over his mustache and yell, unclean, unclean, I'm coming through and I'm unclean. You touch me, you're touching death. Get away from me. And the more you look at leprosy in the scriptures, the more you see it as a picture of sin. First of all, in Leviticus 13.3, we see leprosy is deeper than the skin. The priest shall examine the sore on the skin of the body, and if the hair on the sore has turned white and the sore appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a leprous sore. Then the priest shall examine him and pronounce him unclean. Man, just like our sin problem, it's not up here. We can't just take a long shower and just... Man, it is deep inside of us, this sin problem. And in the beginning of the stages of leprosy, skin takes on a hard, glossy appearance. Later on, it becomes scaly. Dr. Henry Brandt was researching leprosy in Hawaii, and he noticed something. One day, he was having trouble unlocking a door when a leper came and said, Hey, let me try. 
It was a little boy who took the key and opened the door very easily. The doctor marveled that the boy could make that turn key or key turn. But then he noticed that there was blood dripping down from the boy's hands and that there was a huge gash on his hands. And the doctor opened up this theory that revolutionized the understanding of leprosy, that leprosy would lose, would cause the loss of fingers and toes because of its destruction to the nervous system. The nerves on the fingers and toes and hands would become dead and people wouldn't feel the damage that they're doing to themselves. And in these places of poverty, like we see in the Middle East and like we see in Asia, as we see in Hawaii at the time in the 1800s, uh, you would have rats come in in the middle of the night, nibble off toes and fingers, and the people wouldn't even know it. It's a picture of our sin. We become numb to sin. We begin to injure ourselves severely without even knowing it. Richard Stein was another missionary and doctor. He was a brilliant man, wrote the book on leprosy. And while he was researching it and loving on people, he himself contracted it. He went blind himself because one morning he washed his face with scalding hot water, with steaming hot wash rags, and he caused himself to go blind because he didn't even know the temperature of the water. And as you study this, you see people take on the appearance of lions. Eventually their nose disappears. They take on a strong odor. It's been said you can smell a leper from a hundred yards away. This is all a picture of sin. This stuff that David is writing about coming out of our lives is a manifestation of what is going on inside of us. Secondly, leprosy spreads. If you don't destroy leprosy, leprosy destroys you. And just as John Owen said of Romans chapter 8, you need to kill sin or sin will be killing you. Leviticus 13, 5 says the priest examines him on the seventh day. Indeed, if the sore appears to be as it was, the sore is not spread on the skin, the priest shall isolate him another seven days. Then the priest shall examine him again on the seventh day. And indeed, if the sore is faded and the sore is not spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. It's only a scab. He shall wash his clothes and be clean. But if the scab should at all spread over the skin, after he's been seen by the priest for his cleansing, he shall be seen by the priest again. If the priest sees that the scab is indeed spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is leprosy. Sin spreads in our life. Third, it defiles and isolates Leviticus 13, he's a leprous man. He's unclean. The priest shall surely pronounce him unclean. His sore is on his head. Now the leper in whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn, his head bare. He shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. He shall be unclean all the days he has the sore. He shall be unclean. He's unclean. He shall dwell alone. His dwelling shall be outside of the camp. And just as David says, man, my neighbors, my family, they consider me a reproach. There's separation because of our sin. It defiles us. It isolates us. It causes shame upon our lives. Lastly, it renders things fit for the fire. You read in Leviticus 13, 51, the priest examines the plague on the seventh day. If the plague is spread on the garment... And the warp or the woof in your seam and the leather or anything made of leather, the plague is active leprosy. It's unclean. He shall therefore burn the garment in fire. 
Whatever had the plague, whether the warp or the woof, the wool or the linen or anything in leather, it's active leprosy, the garment shall be burned in the fire. We know that's the truth of our sin. It renders us fit for hell, fire, and judgment. The rabbis felt that leprosy was a direct judgment from God. One rabbi said, I would not so much as buy an egg from a market that was on the street that a leper had walked down. Another rabbi says, when I see a leper coming, I throw stones at them until they turn around and go the other direction. That's all bad news, and we're talking about things fit for the fire and judgment and separation. That's the bad news, but we don't tell you to go home after we tell you the bad news. The good news is this leper said to Jesus, if you are willing, can you clean me? And Jesus says, I am willing, be cleansed, and immediately The sin condition in this man, this leprosy was gone. And the incredible thing is, is that for over 1,500 years, the law of what to do after someone has been cleansed of leprosy was on the books. You go show yourself to the priest, and no one had ever gone and done that before until Jesus came on the scene. He says, go and show That the one who brings the healing from this condition is here. Jesus doesn't doesn't just say, okay, yeah, just stay over there. I'll heal you. Get over there. But he comes and he touches. And he cleanses us. And he says, I am willing. And the truth for you today is that if you come in with a painful disease on your loins, in the destruction that's come from behind you, there is healing today. In Jesus, he restores the years of destruction behind us. Even if, in verse 12, we've still got those who seek our life and lay snares for us, who seek our hurt and speak of destruction and plan deception all the day long. David says, but I, like a deaf man, do not hear. I'm like a mute who does not open his mouth. I'm like a man who doesn't hear and whose mouth there's no response. Verse 15, you can put a star by it in your notes. For in you, O Lord, I hope. You will hear, O Lord, my God. The language means, you know, there's all this trouble that's come from my sin. I'm physically sick and rotting. But in you, I wait for you, God. I hope in you, Lord. I trust in you. I know that you hear me. In Jesus Christ, we have hope. A leper had no hope. When you get the time... Go watch Ben-Hur. One of my favorite movies. The book's even better. Gotta read it, gotta watch it. I'm a little crazy about Ben-Hur. But you will be moved to tears as Jesus in Ben-Hur heals the lepers because they had no hope. No hope. David says, in you, O Lord, I hope. Romans says that we as Christians can be rejoicing in hope. Verse 16 of our psalm says, For I said, Hear me, lest they rejoice over me, lest when my foot slips they exalt themselves against me. For I am ready to fall, my sorrows continually before me. For I will declare my iniquity, I will be in anguish over my sin. David's conscience and consciousness of his sin makes all of his suffering very bitter. But the bitter suffering leads to repentance and confession of our sins. As Psalm 32 says, I acknowledge my sin to you. My iniquity, I've not hidden it. I've said I will confess my sins, transgressions to the Lord. And what does he do? He forgives our iniquity. 
Just as the New Testament says in 1 John, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. David has been brought to a place that the New Testament calls godly sorrow. It says in 2 Corinthians 7, 9, I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of this world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourselves. What indignation. What fear. What vehement desire. What zeal. What vindication. In all things, you proved yourself to be clear in this matter. Therefore, though I wrote to you, I do not do it for the sake of him who'd done the wrong, nor for the sake of him who'd suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. You guys... We all go through times where we're sorry we got caught and we might shed some tears. Sorry I got caught. But then the next thing we know, we're back at it again. Godly sorrow that comes from the Spirit of God. It leads us to a changed life. Godly sorrow brings repentance. Verse 19, but my enemies are vigorous, they are strong, and those who hate me wrongfully have multiplied. Those who render evil for good, they are my adversaries because I follow what is good. Do not forsake me, O Lord my God. Be not far from me. Once again, his hope is in the Lord. These words were the words cried out by Jesus at the cross. He was forsaken so that you could be accepted. 1 Peter 3.18 says, Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Jesus was forsaken so that we wouldn't have to be. There's hope in Jesus today for those of us that come with the leprosy of sin, causing our appendages to fall off. But in Jesus, there's hope. There's the song that we sing, and we may even close with it. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted because you were condemned. I'm alive and well. Your spirit lives within me because you died and rose again. Last verse. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. Man, this psalm has a whole lot of bad in it. Man, this poor guy, he just does there any hope. There's these nuggets, these golden nuggets of hope spread throughout. And it closes out this chapter. Hurry to help me, God. My hope is in you for you to help me, O Lord, the God who saves, the Lord who helps us. Salvation from the leprosy, the painful disease of our sin, it's found in the Lord. He is our salvation. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He is our source of victory. He's here to help us. And in Pilgrim's Progress, as Christian left the screaming cries of not only his family, but the whole city of destruction, calling him to come back, 
They even sent people out to get him. One man's name was obstinate and one man's name was pliable, trying to get him to come back. He kept pressing forward. He pressed through a beautiful grassy meadow, but as soon as he got across the meadow, he came to the slough of despond or the swamp of despair. He gets stuck in the quicksand and the mire, and he has a terrible time making it through this mud And it says, especially because of the burden upon his back. He almost perishes there until a man named Help comes to him. Let me read to you from Pilgrim's Progress. Wherefore, Christian was left to tumble in the slough of despond alone. But he could not get out because of the burden that was on his back. But I beheld in my dream that a man came to him whose name was Help and asked him what he did there. Christian said, Sir, I was bid to go this way by a man called Evangelist, who directed me also to the yonder gate, that I might escape the wrath to come. And as I was going, I fell in here. As help plucks him out of the miry clay, Christian says, Sir, since over this place is the way from the city of destruction to the gate, is it that this path is not mended? That poor travelers could go to and fro with security. And and help said, This miry sloth is such a place as cannot be mended. It is the descent where the scum and filth that attends conviction for sin continually runs. And therefore it's called the sloth of despond or the swamp of despair. For still, as the sinner is awakened about his lost condition, there arises in his soul many fears and doubts and discouraging apprehensions, which when all of them get together and settle in this place, this is the reason for the badness of the ground. You know, today as you find yourself here at this church, overwhelmed with the realization of your iniquity, don't get bogged down today in the sloth of despond. When you leave this place, the sloth of despond is going to be finding you at your home. In fact, Christian had just been with a man named Pliable who was persuaded to come with him. But Pliable got in the sloth and said, you're crazy to keep going. I'm going back to the city of destruction. I pray today that you're not Pliable. I pray that you're Christian. And that today as you're made aware of your sin, that you would see help standing there to pull you. The Holy Spirit, the Helper, the Comforter, He is here to pull us through the sloth of despond. But as the psalmist said today, we need to wait on the Lord. We need to hope in the Lord. We need to be in anguish over our sin with godly sorrow. We need to acknowledge our sin to the Lord and cry out for His help and His hope and His salvation as it's only found in Jesus Christ. As we have the worship team come back up, I want to close with something written in Pilgrim's Progress that's just in stage three out of ten stages. It says, Now I saw in my dream that the highway up which Christian was to go was fenced on either side with a wall. And that wall was called salvation. Isaiah 26, 1. 
Up this way, therefore, did burdened Christian run, but not without great difficulty because of the load on his back. It's a common phrase in Pilgrim's Progress, but not without great difficulty because of the load on his back. So cool to read it to your kids and to have your nine or eight-year-old say, that burden is sin, isn't it, Dad? A burden is our sin and our guilt. He ran until he came to a place somewhat ascending. And upon that place stood a cross. And a little below in the bottom, a tomb. So I saw in my dream that just as Christian came up with the cross, his burden loosed from off his shoulders and fell off his back and began to tumble and so continued to do till it came to the mouth of the tomb where it fell in and I saw it no more. Then was Christian glad and lightsome and said with a merry heart, he has given me rest by his sorrow and life by his death. Then he stood still a while to look and wonder, for it was very surprising to him that the sight of the cross should thus ease him of his burden. He looked, therefore, and looked again, even till the springs that were in his head sent the waters down his cheeks. Now as he stood looking and weeping, behold, three shining ones came to him and saluted him with, Peace be to thee. And the first said to him, your sins are forgiven you. The second stripped him of his rags and clothed him with a change of raiment. The third also set a mark upon his forehead and gave him a roll with a seal upon it, which he bid him to look on as he ran, and that he would give it at the celestial gate. So they went their way. Then Christian gave three leaps for joy and went on singing, Thus far did I come laden with my sin, nor could aught ease the grief that I was in till I came hither. What a place is this! Must here be the beginning of my bliss? Must hear the burden fall from off my back? Must hear the strings that bound it to me crack? Blessed cross, blessed tomb, blessed rather be the man that there was put to shame for me. Let's pray. Lord God, Spirit of the living God, fall upon us and move in our midst as your word has gone forth. If any man says that he has no sin, he is a liar and deceives himself. We either come to this place with sins that have been washed away and forgiven, we come with a burden on our back sin that weighs us down is killing us destroying us and causing us to groan 
Lord, we pray that you would just blow your spirit through our midst, Lord, and reveal hearts that maybe even up until this moment today were hard towards you. If that's you today, acknowledge your sin before the Lord. Come to the cross of Calvary where streams of his mercy have flown from the wounds in his hand and his side to wash your sins away. Don't come pridefully. Don't come self-strong. Come as a child in humility. Let him remove the bondage of sin that's weighing you down. Come to the cross today. The beauty of it is that he's not on the cross anymore, nor is he in the tomb. But he's alive in victory, having accomplished his purpose, that anyone who would believe in him not only would be forgiven, not only would have their sins washed away, but would have the same power that rose him from the dead in them and upon them to live for him. I plead with you today, if that's you, be real before God. Acknowledge your sin before him. Acknowledge the leprosy that your sin has caused in your life and in others. And just come to Jesus today and pray in your heart, Lord, touch me, cleanse me, heal me, make me new. Thank you, God. Blessed be you. I worship you who went through all of that for me. And those of us who are Christians, we rejoice as pilgrim jumping three times with the burden off our back, having our conscience cleansed from wicked thoughts to serve the living God. We say it's available for you today. Come join us as we stand together as a church. If that's you today and you know this message was for you and you want to join Christian in his pilgrimage, you want the burden brought off of your back. You can already tell that the sloth of despawn is around your ankles trying to pull you back. Come, come, come. There is help today. During this last song, we're going to have the core group leaders and the elders just be up here to pray for you. And if that's you and you just come and you say, man, there is a burden on my back today and I need Jesus to take it off. I told Johnny today, can we sing How Great Thou Art? Because it has the lyric, on the cross, my burden gladly bearing. Come today. And our leaders will help lead you to the cross and we'll pray for you. There's no judgment here. There's mercy here. We're no better than you. We're just beggars who know where the bread is. And we say, come with us today. We will pray for you. Jesus will give you new life. He'll give you new hope. And he'll put a spring in your step that you've never had before. During this last song, 
If you know this message was for you, that God has something of freedom for you, come forward. We'll pray for you.